Hello everyone, welcome to the International Business Podcast. If you work across time zones, borders and cultures, this is the show for you. I'm Leonardo, founder and host of the show, but let's make it simple and just call me Leo. I'm based in Shanghai and I'm accompanied by two co-hosts, Stefano, based in Paris, and Audrey from San Francisco. On these select episodes of the show, we'll extract our favorite moments from previous episodes of the International Business Podcast. You can find the links to the guests in the show notes. Enjoy. Let's talk about leadership communication. How CEOs and C-suite leaders can encourage cultures of open listening? Well, the first step is for them to start listening. That would be the first step, right? <laughs> That might sound a bit simplistic, but if you want to encourage listening, then you have to start listening. And this is more than holding a town hall and doing a pulse survey. It's a lot more than that. It's about starting to measure our relationships, our communication in our teams, finding out where the silos are, finding out who works well together, who are the influencers in the organization. Uh, we have so much data that we can analyze at this time. And Most companies are only looking at the demographics. They aren't actually analyzing the social network of our teams. And there's a lot that we can find out there. Uh, there's an organization in Denmark that I partner with to do this research in, in companies. And they have found that just 3% of the people in the organization can influence up to 90%. So one CEO they worked with, he said, <laughs> it was so funny. He goes, yeah, so if we wanted to spread a meme around the office, those are the people that we say to send it to and have them send it out because it hits everybody in the organization. We need to start focusing on this. We need to start focusing on the relationships uh, and how communication is working. Why people don't listen, Heather? What is their problem? What is our problem? You know, uh, yeah, you know, well. there's a lot of problems when it comes to listening. We have a lot of bad listening habits, and I am not perfect, believe me. I mean, when I do my own unmuted assessment, I score quite high on the confidence, quite low on the self-awareness and the conscious communication because, yeah, sometimes it is hard for me to listen. And what are some of the things that we do? And we do a lot of these naturally. We jump to conclusions. We want to finish someone's sentence. And we often think that that's a good thing. Like, oh, we're so in love. We're so connected. I can finish his sentences. No, that's not a good thing. <laughs> you know, we all have our own ideas. We need to let each other finish our thoughts. Uh, sometimes we're trying to find a solution and give an answer without fully listening to the question. Uh, we, we see these things happen over and over and over again. And Where it comes from, why we do it, I don't know if I have the perfect answer for you there. I think it comes down to our human nature. You know, we are most interested in ourselves and our problems and our concerns, and we like to talk about ourselves as well. And that's why we so often will hear someone tell a story. And then there's always that person in the group that has to one-up them with their story that's very similar. You know, have you ever had that happen? Like friends that just always have to one-up you like, oh, that happened to me too. Uh, and Yeah, okay, you're trying to build connection and show a similar experience, but at the same time, it can often play down the other person's experience. So learning how to listen actively, setting our judgments aside, understanding our own inherent biases, which play an enormous role in how we listen and see the world around us. These are all things that we need to learn and work through. And I think we're getting better. We're getting better at it. We're talking about it more. And uh, I have a lot more organizations asking for these skills as well to, to learn more about them. So let's focus a little bit on China. Could you share some insight 
about the Chinese aerospace industry? Yes, you know, uh, this year, this is the uh, 17th year of the of the aviation industry in China. You know, it's 100 years of Communist Party, but it's also 17 years of the civil aviation. And the aviation has been growing a lot uh, since uh, people was lifted out of property and the GDP rise and and uh, the level of life rise a lot in China. People started to have access to uh, flying, flying with aircraft for fun or for work, of, of course, obviously. And China is already the, the second worldwide market. Just to give you an idea, uh, uh, 2018 is like 1.3 billion people taking an aircraft in the year. It's, it's, it's huge, huh? it's huge. And it's, it will become the most, most likely will become the, the first uh, aviation market uh, in, the, in the coming years, in number of people traveling per year per aircraft. Um, China is building a lot of airports and it will be built even more. So by, uh, by uh, 2035, it should have uh, 450 airports in China, which, which is a lot, which is much more than we have today, almost double. We estimate that we, we need to deliver, the, the industry, I mean, need to deliver more than 6,000 aircraft in the next uh, 20 years. Okay, aerospace aircraft is not like cars. Huh? We don't do thousands of cars <laughs> per day. It's uh, making an aircraft. It, it's a uh, it's slow process, still a slow process compared to making a mass production product. So 6,000 aircraft in 20 years is massive. That makes this market very exciting. This is uh, the largest single country market for exportation of, uh, of uh, aircraft for company like uh, Airbus or Boeing, of course. And what we see is that Comac is getting is becoming a very serious challenger into this uh, into this game. And China want to become uh, aviation power. This is clearly one of the strategy of the country to become uh, a big aviation power like America is, like uh, Europe is. They put a lot of effort in this in this direction, and also with having strategy to be self sufficient. From, from outside and to have all the ecosystem, all the supp supply chain in China for strategic reason and for economical reason, of course, and also to innovate, huh? to innovate, to be able to compete with, uh, with a foreign country on, on, this, uh, on those products. Looking at how to manage teams across time zones and cultures, Catherine. Let's get a little bit practical with the audience here, shall we? What would be three essential tips you'd provide to the audience on how to manage international teams? First of all, you've got to lead them by example. So it's down to you as the team leader to make sure that you learn about the cultures of the team members that you're managing and leading. You have to also know how do they see the function of you as a leader in your culture and in their culture. So it's important that you put your people first to understand how different members will likely deal with deadlines. How will they react if you give them instructions? How do they like to appear in meetings? And I think a key to this is that you have to do quite a lot of self-reflection and after meetings or after events to go through and think about how different team members reacted and whether that was what you expected due to their cultural background or whether you need to amend the way that you're dealing with them. Secondly, I would say 
it's really key that you over-communicate your expectations and that you offer them as much transparency as possible. I mean, a European or a, a US American team member possibly would like more transparency than an Asian team member. They might feel a little bit uncomfortable, like you were perhaps a weak leader if you, if you tell them too much, but that as far as possible, they have to feel that you're honest with them and that you give them a true picture of what's happened. And thirdly, I'd say document your processes and also the progress of your team, because it can be really quite lonely if you have a team who are sitting in Vietnam or they're sitting in a completely different part of the world to the rest of you, then maybe they have the feeling that they're sending all this information to the head office, but nothing's happening with it, or they just think they're doing it, it's pointless. So that's the one side of it. And on the other hand, if they have documented processes and they're stuck at three in the morning in your time, they can still continue to work. So if you can empower your team to lead themselves as far as possible, it's not easy, but then it can make your life quite a lot easier. And it also means that they can be more closer as a team. Yeah, you nailed it. And that definitely resonated with me, Catherine. Um, I'll bring an example. Like a while ago, I had a resource in another country. So a person I was managing, a salesperson, and I didn't communicate to this person very clearly my expectations. So I got a little bit frustrated because I wasn't very happy with this person's performance. But then I realized that actually the fault was with me because I didn't communicate exactly or let's say clearly what I wanted. So it was my fault. I changed my approach. So I exactly communicated what I wanted. And then the relationship and performance of this person that was in another country, so we were working remotely, really, really improved. So absolutely, Catherine, what you said is absolutely correct. Indeed correct. You can find the podcast on all the major platforms. Make sure to subscribe. Do not miss the weekly episodes. And are you an international professional? Connect with us on LinkedIn to come on the show. For now, cheers.